Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back again to the program today. Thank you for joining us again as we continue our teaching on the book of Romans. And uh, if you've been watching, you know we are in part three of chapter six of the book of Romans. And this is the third one we filmed on the book of Romans as we begin to talk about not only the diagnosis, chapters one, two, three, especially are dealing with the diagnosis, chapter four, five, six, and on through are dealing with the deliverance from the problem of the human family. And what we begin to uh, deal with, I think so important, is Romans six is dealing with why Christian behavior is important under grace and in the new covenant because it is bringing God's new world into manifestation into this one. It is what all of creation is groaning for. We'll probably see that a little bit clearer once we get into the chapter of Romans, that the creation itself is groaning, waiting on the manifestation of the sons of God, because every time God's sons come into manifestation, and that is they manifest the life of the nature of God, it brings about new creation. And so uh, we'll probably develop that more as we get over into the eighth chapter of Romans. I don't want to jump ahead because there's so much I want to say in this chapter. But let me begin again by reading the sixth chapter, and then we're going to continue to talk about some of the things we have talked about and just begin to develop them further as it relates to what it means to live in the new creation. It's not an old creation with a behavior modification program. It is God making all things new. It's a new creation. So we come out of Hebrew, or I'm sorry, we come out of the fifth chapter of Romans where he says, here it is in a nutshell, one man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. And so uh, the whole point here is that he didn't just get us out of trouble, but he got us into a life, the glorious life that he intends for us, if you will, the days of heaven on earth, the days of living in the kingdom of God as citizens of a brand new world. And so he comes down into chapter six and addresses the whole idea where there are receiving accusations that, that when you preach grace, it makes people sin. So Paul begins to address that in chapter six. He said, so what do we do? I'm reading from the message translation. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. We went under the water. We left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new, great, into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what the baptism into, into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. But when we were raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace sovereign country. And so I dealt with that, how that we have moved into Graceland, I call it, where Adam has left the building. It's a new life and a new land, and if you miss the first two segments, you absolutely need to go back 
to uh, YouTube and watch those uh, segments again where I taught on what water baptism does. I showed the baptism of Jesus. I showed the Ark of Noah and the emergence out of an old world into a new world. And even like uh, Noah, I so many times in this new creation life, I've got out of a boat in a new world. And sometimes we don't know how to act in this new world, but God renews his dominion mandate with Noah when he said, be fruitful, multiply and replenish. That's still the mandate God is calling us to do in this hour is to be fruitful, to multiply and to replenish. That doesn't mean just have a bunch of children, but it does mean to replenish the earth with a God kind of species of new creation. It goes on to say, and that we didn't get this. That's all the further we got was through verse five most of the time. But in verse six, it says, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's ever beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. That is so powerful because what I'm talking about is not just a ticket from here to there or to, we made the gospel reduced to, did you get your ticket? Are you on your way to heaven? Are you going to get to escape hell? And while those may be very valid points as far as the end of all of this is concluded, because what he's saying even here is that he brought an end to death as the end, that may be included, but he's really not simply talking about how you get from here to there. He's talking about how you get what's happening there to operate here, his kingdom to come, his will to be done in the earth to give you what he declares in Romans 5 and Romans 6, this incredible glorious life that God has intended for you, this eternal life that just doesn't begin when you die, but begins when you get born again and you identify with the power of his resurrection. So he goes on to say that, uh, he said, never again will death have the last word. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language. That means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. In the garden, Adam became alive to sin and dead to God. And the result was an old creation in the fall. The reverse of that is you become alive to God. You become dead to sin. New creation begins. Like I said, I can't go back and review everything that I dealt with in the first two segments on this chapter six about the resurrection life and about what it means to come up out of the waters of baptism into a brand new world. But we're going to keep on going. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under the old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. 
So since we're out from under the old tyranny, he's talking about the law here, the old covenant law and legalism. So since we're only out from underneath the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Here's what it says next. Hardly. Now I want you to get that clearly. Can we keep on doing, since we're not under law, does that mean we can behave any way we want to? Paul says the answer to that is hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourself to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do, but thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose command sets you free to live openly in his freedom. I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different it is now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed and expansive in holiness. In other words, he's saying, you know what, you, you, you think you're, you know what is amazing to me is I've seen people who walked away from the bondage of religion and traded it for the bondage of substance abuse or the bondage of some other sin that gets in their life. And all, all you've done is change taskmasters. All you've done is become a slave to sin instead of a slave to the law. But he's not calling you to live in the slavery of sin, nor is he calling you to live in the slavery of legalism. He's calling you to live the free life of this freedom where you have a healed uh, life. You see, but what happens is, is again, when you start to have certain behaviors, it's not just like it affects just you. I hear people all the time say, well, I ain't hurt anybody but myself, but that's not true. When you live in a world where you do things to other people, you reap what you sow. In other words, if you sow hatred, you're going to reap hatred. If you so, uh, you know, uh, uh, if people that, that get involved in sexual abuse, if they are sex abusers, sometimes they pass that on to somebody else. And then that sex, that person who was sexually abused, if they don't get healed, pass that on. And what that does is perpetuates an old creation. But when it stops with you, whether it's alcoholism that runs in your family, whether it is substance abuse, whether it is this hate that's perpetuated everywhere. You know, we, we're, we don't, we're not born hating people. We have to learn how to hate people. And sometimes we hate generically. We just, you know, whether it's a racial tension or whether it is a uh, religious tension or it is a, you know, something that we, we, we were taught to be afraid to hate people. But when you, when you have relationship with people individually, then you can judge a man not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. Or you can judge a person. You know, people find stuff to hate. You know, in Ireland, the Catholics are fighting the Protestants. And on and on it goes. There's always something that is creating some kind of hatred and division. And sometimes I think that these... Uh, uh, these these uh, 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 organizations like it when we hate each other because they can raise more money to get you to be against me and me against you until we finally ultimately end up in a war somewhere. I was thinking the other day as I was looking at uh, some things, uh, you know, about war and history and war, that the people of these countries, our country, their country, whatever, the people of these countries primarily want the same thing. They want to love. They want their families to live in peace. 
They want to be healthy and they want to be protected. They want to feel safe. The problem is not so much with the people of the countries. The problem is with tyrant leaders who want to force their agendas on other people. But the people of these countries simply want the same thing. And so when you start to realize that when you start to love people, what happens is it diffuses the hate. In other words, I refuse to buy into hating somebody else. And I think sometimes these organizations uh, thrive on raising more money because if I can get you to hate me and my group gets you to hate me to hate you, then we can keep on raising enough money that we keep our organizations going. And it's all built on the wrong premise. Maybe the organization that God wants to build is the kingdom of God, where you become a peacemaker, where you love and turn the other cheek. Those are practical methods of bringing God's new world into this world, God's new creation into this one. Because it brings, that's what he's talking about as he starts to deal with all of these Christian behaviors, is that uh, he's talking about things that are robbing your life. You, you, you are hurting yourself, but you're also hurting other people as well. When I think about, uh, you know, even Galatians, the uh, fifth chapter, when he said, For the works of the flesh are made manifest, which are these hatred, malice, envy, strife, divisions, emulations, drunkenness, all the stuff that he lists there. He says, as I have told you before, and I'm going to tell you again, that they that do such things will not, here's a key word, inherit the kingdom. He didn't say they that do such things will not go to heaven. He's saying if you're doing these things, you are not inheriting the kingdom. In other words, these behaviors are anti kingdom. But when you start to operate in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and meekness, and temperance against such there is no law, you start to bring God's world into this world, and you start to inherit the kingdom, the government of heaven, and the kingdom of God starts to manifest in your life. Those texts, we read in the stuff that's not in the text. This is not about simply a ticket to heaven. This is about how you get heaven to come into your reality and how you begin to learn how to live in Graceland, your new grace sovereign country, where uh, you live the glorious life that God has purposed for you to live. And so sin becomes the enemy of that because it produces death in us. But Jesus came with a resurrection to give us a new life in a new land, and as we are partakers of that new creation, not just in the future, but right now we have resurrection life, by virtue of our born-again experience, then we bring God's new creation world into this world, and we offer ourselves to God. That's simply, he said, you offer yourself to sin, you become a slave to sin. You offer yourself to God, and the freedom never ends. He says, what you need to do is stop even running little errands for some of the stuff. But, you know, I have really even had to put myself on... Uh, on a fast from sometimes news and certain TV programs that kind of stir up in you these emotions of hatred and and uh, uh, depression and hopelessness and you know something has to change our world not from the top down but from the bottom up you know there's a reason why 
you know, kids walk into schools and shoot the school up. But that's not going to be solved from the top down. That's going to be solved from the bottom up as we start to put some things in motion in our homes and in our families that begin to bring God's new creation world into that they can help people even with their mental stresses and their distresses and their hatred and the malice and the envy and the strife. What we need is an invasion of the kingdom of God and the spirit of God to do in us what we could not do for ourselves. He goes on to say, let me finish this and we'll get into some other details about it. He said, I'm using this freedom language because it's easy to picture. You can readily recall, can't you, how at one time, the more you did just what you felt like doing, not caring about others, not caring about God, the worse your life became and the less freedom you had. And how much different is it now as you live in God's freedom, your lives healed, and expansive in holiness. As long as you did what you felt like doing, ignoring God, you didn't have to bother with right thinking or right living or right anything for that matter. But do you recall, do you call, do you, but do you call that a free life? What did you get out of it? Nothing you're proud of now. Where did it get you? A dead end. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God tell you, what a surprise. A whole healed, put together life right now. I love this translation. A whole healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift... Once again, you don't earn it, but God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus Christ, our master. Now, I think it's interesting to note that Colossians 2 also deals with this. Let me, let me turn there quickly because it's dealing with the same concept, basically. Colossians chapter 2, and I'll probably read that, I think, probably also from the Message Bible. And uh, because I love, I love, I love how this words it. It says, "I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as you. Uh, ha, ha, I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you, and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference. Know that I'm on your side. Uh, let me skip down here a little bit because it says it's talking about moving from the shadow to the substance." Let me see here. Let me let me begin at verse six, six. It says, My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. This is Paul talking. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received Christ, Jesus, the Master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out, quit studying the subject, and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings, but that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. 
You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Enter into this fullness. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping along the list of laws. No, you're already an insider. You're already in, insiders, not through some secretive initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through that by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable. You were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean. The old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. I love that. So don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and scrape, insisting that you join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. There are a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life. Christ who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood flow to us. He is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. So then if, if with Christ you put all the pretentious and infantile religion behind you, why don't you let yourselves be bullied? Why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't go near this. Do you think that they are are here today and going tomorrow are worth that kind of attention. Such things sound impressive. I said, if I said it in a deep enough voice, then even give the illusion of being pious and humble and ascetic, uh, but they are just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. But he's talking about when you understand that you have been raised with Christ, you've been crucified with Christ, you simply live out of that divine supply. And so that is uh, powerful to me of what that, uh, um, resurrection life looks like, you know, and so, you know, I, 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 as you go on down through there, Colossians chapter three, he talks about the fact that you've been raised, and since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sits. Ah, let me go over there and read that again. Let, let, let me go move on into chapter three. That's chapter three of the book of Colossians. He said, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert. What is going on around Christ? That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And when Christ, your life, your real life, remember, shows up again, on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of, of death. 
sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but you know better now. So make sure it's all going for good, bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every time Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe of God. Pick out your compassion. Kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Are you understanding that the other, the stuff that he's telling them not to do are the stuff that creates an old world? And as he's talking about changing the garment and your new uh, life uh, garment, I'm going to talk about this probably in the next segment because we're going to talk about Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 where the world to come was not put in subjection to angels, but that, that world to come, that that old world was changed like a garment, they will be changed. In other words, we've got to stop putting on the old man and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you start to put on your, uh, you know, when you're even tempered, you're content, you're content with being second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. And that's powerful. It <laughs> Put on love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of, of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing. Sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever be done in the name of the master Jesus, thanking God for the very every step of the way. And it gives wives to understand and support your husbands and then uh, submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This is the delight of the master of no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that'll get you by. Do your best work from the heart for your real master for God confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The soul and servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. So he starts to tell you that all of these things will affect your marriage when you walk in love and you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and you walk in this new creation. You're going to treat your wife right. You're going to treat your children right. You're going to treat one another right. You're going to, you're going to just behave in a way that produces this new creation. And then he says, when you forgive, you bring God's new world into this one. In the old covenant, when Jesus was teaching still under the law, he said, if you don't forgive, it won't be forgiven you. That was under the law. He tells us in this text, we forgive even as God for Christ's sake has already forgiven us. 
us. So those are the things that will bring God's new world out of the invisible realm and into this one. Well, we are out of time again in this third segment, but we do need your help to stay on the air. If you'd like to sow a seat into the ministry, go to the link that's on the website here or the scan the QR code. You can go directly to a link to give via PayPal or credit card. You can sign up there to become a monthly partner if you'd like or give a one-time gift. You can also send a check or money order to the address on the screen or call the number on the screen and someone will take your call. But do it today. We do need your help. God bless you and thank you for joining us again this week. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.